still the same episode, but we took a little break of a few days. Oh, I didn't realize we were going to divulge that information, but okay. Well, we there you just, go, listeners. We could just edit it out, Perry. Fill in the beans. No, you really have the editing power here, so you could just take you could actually just control the narrative to be however you want. It's and true. As far as the listener knows, you've already done that. You know. Yeah, you know what? You'll probably never hear this part because I've edited it out after you have given me that great of an idea. So. Right. Yeah. But even if you thank you, if you if you left it in, it could still even be, uh, just to assure the listeners that everything is normal when actually you are cutting this up to to fit your narrative oh like if i played it like this whole thing like we were doing right now is like a bit like a like, comedy bit you, or something yeah like that you oh, left it in as it, to make the listeners think that you aren't heavily editing this oh yeah 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 like, but you it's actually like are loose. heavily editing it i mean because i i hear that done i yeah people, <laughs> you always hear people being like cut this part out of the podcast and it's mm-hmm. like well uh genius if you're if we're cutting that part out how come I'm hearing it now? I wonder. Well, people like a little intrigue. They like a little they gossip. They do. Goss. They like to think that they're hearing the off mic stuff. Yeah. But that's a fool's dream. This we've every word that we're saying is written on a fucking piece of paper. That I stayed up all night typing this script. Listen, both of us are can are 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 are, are in depthly mm. committed to the study and honoring of the man Stephen Sondheim. So we have Great. spent countless hours gathering these clips, writing this entire script this entire down. Script. All those R's? Thinking about every R. Yeah. Because we want you to think about a, a seal from the San Francisco uh, pier. Yeah, it's Sondheim's favorite animal. It's his favorite pier. Yeah. Um, the only difference is that I'm off book. Perry's still on book reading the script. Um, so all those R's, he was he was counting on you know, on his fingers. Whereas well, I my like the words I'm saying right now, and I wrote these lines because I knew that it would be like this. So it's it's part of the script what I'm saying right now, but it's also true. That well, I'm off book. Perry's not off book. Yeah. Uh, listen, I I want to make sure that I present all my information accurately because I've researched, I've listened, I've studied the greats. And I uh-huh. know that my information is accurate, and I want to portray my personality accurately. Right. You want to shape your narrative to fit. Right. In your, the same way that you shape your narrative by writing this entire script and giving me no collaborative room for any input, I will edit this for my well, own personal growth and, of my own yeah, your game, knowledge your, yeah you're, my you're game. climbing up the ladder that the, the that way that you do yeah um and and i will and here's what i'll say is that you i understand that you need to read the script in order to be factual but i just know the truth about things so it's a lot easier for me to um not be uh clutching paper in my hand um while i'm while i'm trying to entertain my uh my fans. Oh, that's funny. You said the word entertain, but I'm just I was just looking at the script and it said inform, but Oh, that's... did you not get the updated copy? Oh, no, I'm sorry I didn't. Oh, I forgot that I actually didn't send that to you because oh, Okay. because um 
because it only updates my lines. So it really doesn't concern you. I don't know why you're reading my lines. Well, the plot thickens, as it were, literally, as Alex yeah. has chosen to entertain you all and as opposed to inform you, as was would be my preference. Well, do we... I think that informing happens during entertainment. Okay? But... Okay. Entertainment doesn't necessarily happen during informing. So that's why I, I thought about this. I honestly, it's, I'm glad that you brought it up because I probably lost about five hours of sleep out of my normal six hours last night thinking about this. It's true. I will give you credit for that. You were up messaging me constantly about that and one you word. you kept um, not replying. I saw all your messages. I know. Because I wanted to you see the on, struggle. on red, as they say. Yes, true. On scene. I was greatly entertained by seeing all those messages, but I did not want to inform you of my own personal input because I haven't had much, if any, already. So I was, like, ready for you to just do your own thing. When you when you um, have a really great idea for input, just uh, float it my way because I never said you couldn't. It's just that you haven't really been uh, piping up too much. Okay, so. well... I would check your maybe junk folder or spam folder because I've sent you thousands of emails. But Oh, you think it might be getting sorted into my spam or junk? It's possible. I mean, if there's okay. some, like someone you don't want to be hearing from or like, you know, that like you just like have not wanted to respond to that you maybe have set that in your Hotmail preferences. I don't even know how to open preferences in Hotmail. Right. When I go to that page, it's just could be. I think that is probably what, what part of what it is is. Uh, I just don't know how to work it. Right. Because I have a lot of jo- uh, I have a lot of uh, job interviews that I think I could have gotten if I had figured out how to log in, get into Hotmail. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's I'm still not having. I still do not have a, any work. Oh, your account is still locked. Is that what you're saying? It's not locked. I just I get a little bit befuddled when I'm trying to um, click through it. Yeah. So I still don't have any work. Should maybe try updating to, like, Gmail. I mean, that's, like, the industry standard these days. Any industry, really. Yeah, I mean, well, I just... What I think about, like, Stephen Sondheim, like, you know, he... Back in the day, he was like, I love writing with black wing pencils, right? Mm-hmm. But I know that one day they're going to either discontinue making these or another company is going to buy them out, make them a little different, make them with a different kind of lead, mm-hmm. different kind of eraser. Right. Um, and... Lo and behold, that was true. What he did, he bought a lifetime supply of Blackwing pencils mm-hmm. because he knew that he would need them. Um, so that's kind of like me with Hotmail. That I, I knew Hotmail would be out of vogue, so I made sure to um, have all my email addresses be Hotmail. Right. You want to show support even. You're going to go down with the ship. Well, I figure, you know, the, up, the updates are always for the worst. Right. So when you look at Gmail, it's like it's asking you, what's your address? What's your uh, favorite dog look like? Mm-hmm. Um, it's scanning your face. It's getting your fingerprint. That's right. Um, and so I guess when, th- when, when things in society start really shifting and sliding around, um, I'll be with Hotmail, who doesn't take my fingerprint, who doesn't scan my retina, and you'll be in Google Jail where... They put all the people who ever um, sent too many emails. 
Well, I guess I'd rather be in Google Jail getting my emails from my collaborators than in Hotmail yeah, Island. Yeah, maybe you could have have a lot of uh, good good work done. Maybe you'll really get your art done in jail. You know, you can have collaborators in jail. You know, you could be like uh, like some other people who have worked, um, gotten a lot of good work done in jail. You know, uh, Mein Kampf by Hitler, written in jail, dictated in jail. Um, so that'll be kind of like you with whatever you write. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's get to your moment, Okay. <laughs> so, for my third mo, I'm going oh, to be choosing God. a song from a show called Sunday in the Park with George. Oh, that's a good show. Yeah, it's a good show. Um, I would like to reference the original production. Nice. Um, I'm just going to kind of hit it into YouTube. Cool. And then we'll see. I don't know if I'm very familiar with both the soundtrack version and also the taped version, both with Bernadette and Mandy Patinkins. Right. Both Bernadette are Pierce very Mandy Patinkins. Mandy Patinks. Mandy Patinks. And Bernadette Pears. And Bernadette Pears. Both are readily available. Uh, I'm pretty YouTube. sure there's a YouTube, YouTube link. Yeah. I think it has the only one on YouTube right now is subtitles, uh, Spanish or Portuguese subtitles, some sort of thing. Um, but uh, there's also a version on Vimeo or something. Vimeo. But yeah, it's a great taped production. Um, right. PBS Classics or I think something. Eighty six. I'm just gonna say eighty six and don't look it up. Okay. Yeah. Um, eighty six. Yeah. Um, don't also listeners don't look it up. Don't look it up. We're right. We're right. We're the. If we need to update you, we'll just we will tell you the, 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 what the truth continues to be later, and you'll get it yeah. at that time. Um, so, oh yeah, eighty six, right? Okay, so the song that I'm choosing is called "We Do Not Belong Together." So, just short uh, intro to the show. Obviously, again, again, we're gonna go into further details when we concentrate episodes on the shows. But Sunday in Park with George is a show about. The painter Georges Seurat. Georges Seurat, French painter. You know the one with the, the painting with all the dots. Yeah, it's all the dots. Uh, uh, Sunday in the park at. Uh, uh, Sunday afternoon in the park in the island of La Grande. Sunday afternoon, a, a, a Thursday afternoon. No, no. Ferris Bueller went to. That the it's in the film. Yeah, it's in that movie. He looks at the little girl's face. Yes, or maybe not him, but his friend. His friend. Cameron. Yes. <laughs> Don't look it up. <laughs> Don't look it up, listeners. We are also formidable uh, think... experts on Ferris Bueller's Day Off. But, you know, Joel Gray, who played the ca- the MC in the cabaret, uh, his daughter, uh, uh, his daughter, mm-hmm. forget what her name is. I think her name is Jennifer Gray. Don't look it up. His daughter Don't look it up, plays Sloane. Oh. Or wait, I think she plays Ferris Bueller's sister. What? Yeah. Oh. So okay. Check it out. That's a showbiz family right there. That's a little fun, well, showbiz family, like fun our fact info, like our man Steve Son, like our guy Steve Son, who Oscar taught him everything. Oscar taught him taught him everything he knows. In everything one he afternoon. Knows in one afternoon. And he said, "In that case, it's the worst thing I've ever seen." Yeah. He could see that I was starting to choke up a little he bit. He asked if he could be realistic about his opinion on the show. What was the show? By George. By George. <laughs> and he learned everything in one afternoon. Yeah. He went through point by point. I would love to hear that show. What Steven Sondheim's 
like as as any boy would, he wrote a parody <laughs> of his school. <laughs> It's probably like so inside baseball, like it's all references <laughs> like from his school. Just to make fucking to make like uh Tommy crack up. It's you know? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that joke we had about Mr. Sternberg. You know after that faded meeting, Stonheim Stond- left left that office, the Oscar's office, and he said, said You know what fucking Timmy would love this shit. I don't Timmy's, know what Oscar Oscar doesn't know what's going on in the Oscar doesn't in the understand Timmy's sensibility. Right. Uh we'll do an episode on that if it's at all available <laughs> online, even if it's just in like score form or, or <laughs> just, just thinking about it. Just thinking about what it could be. Yeah. There's also <laughs> Finian's, Finian's Rainbow is a Oh yeah. He's, he wrote a couple Well all those um in that faded afternoon, what he, he wrote told Sondheim to musicals. do was was to write um a bunch. A bunch of musicals, uh, each with a different sort of category. One was, I don't remember exactly what they are, but in the, you could hear this story in the umpteen of any Sondheim interview where he talks about his relationship yeah. with Oscar Hammerstein. It's uh, very very available. He asks him to write one where he likes the book, one where he doesn't like the book. He thinks uh, it's like there ha- it has problems. Yeah, some of those, uh, yeah. So you asked him to write a bunch of musicals, and so those early things are what we're talking about now, Boy George and whatnot. But this is not one of those. This is much later. Sunday in the Park. Sunday in the Park with George. Is, uh, so we talked a little bit in the previous moments when I was talking about Merrily We Roll Along, about uh, what a big failure that was. Yeah. Um, and the failure of that almost led our guy Steve to just kind of want to throw in the hat and not do musical musical yeah. theater at all not even finish the hat not even finish oh <laughs> you'll get that when you listen to the <laughs> yeah that's right oh, oh we like, like to laugh uh fit, look i made a hat is what he would yeah i mean i thought i yeah the uh joke, so, so yeah. we'll get to if you listen you'll get that reference if you listen to um sending the park so it's a little bit kind of like the the uh uh, his musical about school, you have to kind of know the teachers. To, you know what I mean? Yeah. So, I mean, it's basically the story of Georges Seurat, uh portion of his life uh, creating that famous painting. And then the second half is a descendant of his struggling to find his, basically, like, new project. He's, like, an inventor sculptor. Uh, right. And Abstract in his own time. Again, we'll get into it. It's I'm going to um, talk about the show too, so we'll talk even about it more. Yeah, Go and it, uh, it's very it's very much just one of those shows that's very full of uh so between Merrily We Roll Along and this is full of Sondheim's like actual feelings about art and stuff. I feel like oh, even, yeah, yeah, even yeah. though he will sometimes deny some of it, you can feel like he reveals a lot of his own personality through his work mm-hmm. and i think that leads pretty nicely into we do not belong together because a very emotional song um this time around with sunny in the park he was working with a new book writer uh james lapine a book writer director that is a fact um <laughs> perry had a look james lapine new director because they had he had previously been working with yeah. hal prince yeah and a series of other boys who wrote good plays uh, but Hal Prince also, they had a certain camaraderie that was very, it led to that style of show, very much like the 70s style of like cynical, um, all those Hal Prince shows have a a graspable tone 
to them. Mm-hmm. A kind um, of commentary on the showbiz personality, if yes. you will, or showbiz show, show business yeah. in general. I feel like Hal Prince is very like very like brecht, like third wall breaking kind of dude. Mm-hmm. Or fourth wall. You could break any kind of wall, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> uh but when he when Sondheim got into uh working with James Lapine with this guy and they they did so many shows together um after that they came into the woods also right into the woods um i think passion was lapine that sounds right yeah. yeah um i can't remember when he's such as the wide men but yeah i think he only did wide men for assassins pacific overtures too yeah uh right. and uh showboat or not showboat, not show. uh, <laughs> road show road um, show which we'll get to yeah uh, uh but lapine is more of um more of a emotional guy and i think that when they started working together and sondheim talks about it a little bit in the second book i remember um when they began to collaborate something kind of clicked because sondheim always viewed himself as more of a romantic more of an, an emotionally driven writer uh, whereas Hal Prince was more big picture kind of guy, mm. uh, more analytical maybe. Mm. And so when Lapine got in the picture, his his writing is so, it's so pure. You know, it's so um, he just has like a really beautiful way of writing for characters and a really honest kind of show of emotion. Uh, which is I, I think part of why I chose this moment is because I think that showing genuine emotion is really difficult in writing. Because it can so easily, if you're trying to be realistic about someone's expression, to write someone having, you know, someone saying an emotional speech and make it sound not too over the top, then you are putting yourself at risk to be ridiculed. Because if it, if it doesn't mm. land well, it could end up being kind of really uncanny. Yeah. Um, Further challenge of this being theater and that you have to face the uncanny valley and yeah. that you're you're dealing with a person sitting next right in front of you saying these things yeah so it's i mean it's a little harder to suspend your disbelief than say a movie when everything is just perfectly shown to you and it's not a flesh person sitting in front of you right and i think that the earlier productions um take an approach that is commonly it's an approach that i really like where um you manage to subvert the uncanniness by just leaning into the theatrical quality of it yeah like uh sweeney todd is a good example like it's all very like melodramatic and over the top and so all those lines you could just say something really blunt in the line and the listener kind of adjusts to it uh Mm -hmm. so that it can it converts it becomes it becomes normal so that by the emotional height of the show it's normalized to you. Yeah, and everything is working towards um, that sort of tone, the set, the uh, dramatic yeah. overture, the sort of, like, you know, the boat entering the... Yeah, there's there's lots of indicators to you that this is, like, a theater show. Yeah. And so because of that, or you're able to... spectacle. Yeah, you're able to set your expectations for, like, what where you're at. Yeah, it's like, brain? Okay, that's what this is. This is a theatrical Let's show. Know. Yeah. Whereas you know when you go to when you go to the t- newest Tom Hanks movie or what have you, um, whoever's doing that these days, they'll they'll try to convince you that it's really happening right in front of you. Uh, the naturalism of it. Right. Well, Lapine's work <laughs> is a lot more natural than 
other works. Even though, uh, I mean, Sunny in the Park is obviously full of like pretty over the top like theater things, like the cutouts and shit and yeah. you know, whatever. But what I really want to th- focus on for this piece is this scene between uh, we have George Seurat, the painter, and his mistress Dot. Uh, like the dot of a painting mm-hmm. that he made. Played by Mandy Patinkin Played, and Bernadette Peters, right. respectively. Yeah. Um, and they are having a little bit of a breakup moment um, in George's studio. He's having a good time painting his painting, and she comes in and she says, I don't want to hang out anymore because you're always working on this darn painting. Yeah. And it just pisses her off. And you know what? Rightfully so, I think. Um, but what I find really impressive about this scene, for so many, there's so many things I find impressive, but the general thing is that to me this argument feels so believable and that's something that i almost never see even in movies i feel like mm-hmm. when um especially if it's like among a couple when like a couple has an argument it literally is just like to me i could always like sniff out the thing that they're trying to lead the scene into because mm-hmm. it's like the argument has to like lead to some conclusion right and not like natural arguments take a little bit more time and like they're a little bit more subtle right or they don't resolve by like yeah you know a, a musical sting and yeah then it's over but so so there's like a lot of challenge in, the, in in a musical too because again like you're coming to a you're you're coming to a musical cue you're queuing up a song yeah um and so even in past sondheim musicals like uh one that just popped into my head was what's that song from follies uh would i leave you yeah even that song is sort of like i feel like the song says so much and so the scene before it even though i love that its placement in the scene i feel like the the scene before it is like a little bit less naturalistic than this argument because it very much has to lead up to that point where she's able to be like would i leave you you know oh, what I yeah mean? yeah it serves a function though yeah it's, yeah. it's, it's a different kind of thing but mm. I, I know what you're saying that oh man oh, we'll get to that but I, I I also like just rewatched Follies and I like didn't realize like how dramatic so dramatic what she says in that scene before like I didn't realize that like yeah Ben basically took her virginity and like yeah. raped her he yeah. raped her like and then now they're married and he's yeah. like a, an asshole that like doesn't appreciate her still yeah it's anyway a, it's <laughs> it's a dark fucking show yeah. I mean it's honestly like just a. Uh, we don't have to include all this in the in the tape. It, to, a quick note, I want to say that was originally presented as one act, oh. and there's so many goddamn songs in that <laughs> yeah, show. Jesus I just can't Christ. even imagine. Like that's something oh. that um, uh, that Frank Rich, the New York Times reporter, I read a thing because he often is criticized Sondheim or whatever, but he's mm-hmm. also been like a big fan. The Butcher of Broadway. The Butcher of Broadway. Um, that dude, what he was like, got into reviewing shows when he saw follies oh, or huh. something and just like the way that the audience like it wasn't that they didn't like it it's just that they like couldn't stand any more of it they right. want they wanted to like leave yeah you know it's just like another big song like who's that woman happens and it's like all right after like the seven minute dance break <sighs> then it's like guess what we still have like a ton more spectacle songs yeah, like yeah, you yeah. need to just have a standing ovation after every song <gasps> everyone is like incredibly impressive and like yeah. just over fucking whelms you with shit. Yeah, it definitely has structure problems. I mean, I guess I like how the act resolves in most modern productions and uh, the Kennedy Center production when it ends with um, the the Ben and um, Sally. Sally song. in the yeah. door. Which is like not a. I mean, it's a. That's a, well, anyway. Um, we'll talk about Follies. Follies is kind of a mindfuck to talk about because yeah. it's like 
there's pastiche numbers and like i can't say that i like i like a lot of the pastiche numbers but it's like they're being served for a particular purpose so it's like i almost feel like you're not supposed to like some of them or some of them are supposed to come across like lackluster or like follies is a show that i really very feel this meta. Way. Like I, for example, I do not feel this way at all about Sweeney Todd, mm. but Follies is a show where I feel like I could like lose parts of songs or songs like the whole like, yeah. cause like in the middle of like plot, there will be like that whole like three song mashup. That's like rain on the roof. Uh, yeah. Part Perry. They don't, I realize they don't do in the Kennedy center production. They do them one at a time and they don't do the mashup version yeah which i kind of like musically mm -hmm. i don't remember i don't know the context of like in the original production like yeah. how that worked but um yeah but anyway we should get back on topic so sunday in the park sunday in the park all right so <laughs> a couple things that i'm gonna play the video of this i think this should be the one um but what i was talking about before where I really believe that an argument is not easy to write, and it's also not easy to cue into a song out of a scene. But this, like, shatters both of those things. Not only is it, to me, is a very, very, um, at least when I watch it, it's a very enthralling uh, conversation between two characters because I really, I really can kind of, like, see both of them and how they feel and understand where they're both coming from in that obviously the you know george is in the title of the musical so his character is ultimately like the most i don't know if maybe the most sympathetic but definitely like the the one that the narrative is focused around mm. um and yet in this scene he's kind of being confronted and told that he's wrong and at the same time it's not like i really feel like uh what dot says in the in the song is the most articulate stuff that's mm. said you know what i mean like yeah. she i think she really has like a point and you can kind of see that you could be like yeah george is kind of like an asshole yeah but we also still like love him because of how the show goes you know there's sort of like it's hard to find that compromise and not kind of lean it some way mm -hmm. even though Obviously, the show is about George, so he kind of gets the spotlight. But also, yeah. Dot is like a fictional character. Uh, anyway. <laughs> and also, another thing is that... Um, but she's being used to to further that argument of like art versus whatever interaction. Yeah, it's, big, it's bigger than like George Surratt. I think it probably... Yeah. Um, I think Sondheim would deny it, but I feel like it obviously like points to Sondheim. Oh, sure, yeah. Uh, being an obsessive creator because he just, you know... Yeah, well, many of the songs in this two, at least two of the songs he has said uh, multiple different times, like what his favorite songs are. But at least once he said it's Sunday, and at least once he said like at least he relates to finishing the hat. Yeah. Um, also, another thing I wanted to talk about is the way that this scene goes forward. I mentioned how it's difficult to pull a song out of a scene. And I don't know where the James Lapine ends and the Stephen Sondheim <laughs> begins because yeah. they really Stephen Sondheim is so good at catching on to the book writer's voice. Mm -hmm. Even where I noticed that um, a very James Lapine thing is that he doesn't use any what do you call them like conjunctions when you shorten the word like can't abbrevi uh, 
apostrophizations or oh i don't know he doesn't he doesn't use any of those so he says cannot huh. always it's yeah. like i cannot do that um <laughs> it makes everybody sound very like i don't know very like that's how you know it's the past they don't yeah. say can't i can uh, picture mandy patinkin saying that. yeah you will hear him say oh, it nice <laughs> i cannot divide my feelings <laughs> but that's what i'm saying so like sondheim does that in the lyrics too so you know nothing really gets past him he uses the full vocabulary of james lapine so it's hard mm. to know who wrote what but this scene wherever it begins and ends to me is very impressive because the song kind of comes in real sneaky it's always kind of the song and it comes in underneath and as they argue and they get more heated things are going back and forth and the song very naturally swells out of that in a way that I think it's just super recognizable and relatable to the way that like human emotions exist, just the way that things kind of like swell up um, through theater. I think he's able to like draw a lot of metaphors with like music and feelings that are like pretty cool and direct, hmm. but let's hear it. Let's hear it. Something to tell you. Yes. Now about your painting. You may be going away to America alone. So this is the scene. Of course not. With Louis, he has work. I love her. When? Bernadette's number one. After the baby arrives. I would say this is Play Lapine right now. You will not like it there. You will not like it there. Not you won't like it there. <laughs> you will Do you not. know? I have read about America. I have read about America. <laughs> Why are you telling me this? First you ask for a painting that is not yours. That is not yours. And then you tell me this. I have work to do. Yes, George, run to your work. Hide behind your painting. I have come to tell you I am leaving because I thought you might care to know. Foolish of me because you care about nothing. <laughs> I care about many things. It's just hard to see Mandy Patinkin out of context. Like, I know. If you watched it from the beginning, it wouldn't be as funny. People, but he's yeah. just, I cannot divide my I cannot divide my feet. But Bernadette I'm not hiding behind my canvas. I'm living it. Yourself. I care for this painting. In I this have paint. something you can use. I have thought you understood. It's because I understand that I left, that I am There's leaving. There's nothing I can say, is there? Yes, George, there is. You could tell me not to go. Mm. Say it to me. Tell me not to go. Tell me that you're hurt. Tell me you're relieved. Tell me that you're bored. Anything. But don't assume I know. Don't assume I know. <laughs> That is some great cry singing. I know. It's a very hard thing to do. How does she fucking bring that every night? She must just be like a totally dead inside person. Actors, I'm telling you. Yeah, it's like how you know what I mean. Like how can you? How can you trust someone who lies that good? I don't know. Let's let's say or is like a vessel that good. Yeah. I don't. I mean. There's nothing. I know. Yeah, I I, I, I would trust an actor to like be my casual friend. I just wouldn't trust him to like everything. It's just I am what I do. Look at she's tearing up too. She's really in it. And she's fucking crying, dude. This is real as fuck. You are complete, George. You are your own. We do not belong together. You are complete. George, you all alone. This is good film direction. Too. It is. I don't yeah. know what Mandy Pat if he's off stage right now, but he's now behind 
now this is about her. Like, now we've yeah. made that switch. Of, right. Like, this is her side. Definitely. And I think it's... Despite the whole show thing about him. Yeah, it's, but I think it's super intentional that she gets... As since they're crafting the narrative, they kind of get to decide, especially in an argument, how we hear things. She gets like the the big say, you know what I mean? Yeah, this you could almost say this is like what he thinks he hears her saying like, right. his head, like out of the room. Yeah, like this is a continuation of the And it's very awesome staging when he left. He, she finally turned to the audience as if to say, like, this is okay, we're a theater. Yeah, you know? soliloquy. Yeah. And he goes to his painting. Yeah. Also, like the I was thinking about times that they have arguments and then he kinda gets the, the scene afterwards. Mm-hmm. Um, like uh, color and light going into or maybe that's not the number but whatever number goes into finishing the hat when he's all salty it's like he thinks about her for like a second color and light too I think that's how it happens color and light and then they're, they don't go to the follies and then yeah um, and also just Yeah, that was a great mo. I've never really... Is it still going? Okay. <laughs> and then, honestly, and I, I was also... Um, um, I was also couldn't decide if I wanted to pick this or Beautiful, which is the song that happens next. Mm. But, I mean, please, just go watch Sunday in the Park. It's, yeah. a, it's, the, it's available online. It's like, really, <sighs> if you want to get into Sondheim, I really think this is like a good place to jump in because there isn't like a tim burton movie adaptation you have to <laughs> battle with there isn't um i mean there's only good productions of it right yeah. it's manny patinkin is a great there's i have no problem with that i mean i haven't seen any other productions i watched the one with the like... bald with bald <laughs> but oh, I, I liked it uh they did Alexander like pro- mm, i don't know oh. they did like pro- uh projections instead of like cardboard cutouts huh i yeah is it on youtube uh it's maybe on vimeo okay it's but it was also been filmed um, but this production, I mean, yeah, that's a good, that's a good, uh, point. Um, also the fact that it's a, a very experimental show and it's like, right. okay, this is what you're getting into. This is like a good, like, uh, non-traditional storytelling. Like it's a good indicator of like how he likes to do that or and how it, him and his collaborative. It truly is that. when he is like in his height of like, he has fucking done this before he has written musicals, you know? Oh yeah. And, and he's also taking a lot of chances because this yeah. show is his first off Broadway right. show. And he's like, fuck, let's do it. Yeah. It's a new world. For yeah. Him. Um, but this, so this is near the end of act one. So this song happens and then they sing beautiful, which is with the one with George's mother, which that's like, oh, yeah. that's like my like cry button song. Mm. Um, where it's like, I feel like that, that song is like, um, I don't know. It's it's like a deep song, yeah. but it's like also a subtle song. It's not like a song that like jumps out from the soundtrack, but I yeah. think it's like one of the most poignant songs. Mm. Um, and his mom's like an old lady, and she's like, she gets on the big point of the show, which I think is like, to me, one of the more impactful points of the show, which is the nature of like change and stuff. And talks about how they're building towers where there were trees oh yeah so basically there's like condos now Mm -hmm. in ancient france at this point in the show they're like building the um eiffel tower right some shit 
I don't know if you've ever There's been Americans. Or yeah. Um, I detest these people. <laughs> oh, have... and the, but then it goes into Sunday, and then the action, yeah, yeah, yeah. and everybody cries. Um, I'll to, I'm, this is, I'm due for a rewatch on this one, uh, and my cycle of endlessly rewatching mm-hmm. Sondheim. Yeah. Um, because, I mean, I, I was planning on doing that anyway, but especially that moment, thank you for showing that, because that never really popped out to me. I mean, the whole show is great, obviously, but... Like, I, out of that show, that wouldn't be, like, the one that I would have picked mm-hmm. for, like, a moment. Yeah. But it is, that is a great point you made about how that argument bubbles, and then it just naturally goes into the song. Yeah. the music has the, already started. The cue happens while they're talking, and it's yeah. like, you barely even notice it because they're going snip-snap back at each other. And it's the point where, like, she is getting more emotional. Like, yeah. Like, the snap indicates, like, her getting emotional. It's a very impactful thing. As consumers, we're... Uh, we're comfortable with underscoring, right? So it's like... We are. It just happens... Yeah. A musical sting, the way that comes in, is not too unfamiliar. Yeah. You, Your brain kind of naturalizes it. So then when they start singing, it's so not easy to do that, to have the characters truly become so overcome with feeling that they have to burst into song. Yeah. That's like one of people's biggest problems with the musical theater, right? Mm. And people try to subvert that by like having shows take place in a context where the characters might be singing like on a you know right yeah, yeah, yeah. or whatever you, <laughs> yeah. you know what i mean um and so yeah that's a great there's so many point. ways to kind of like subvert that but it's really hard to have conversations or have characters having actual conversations where they burst into song and it's not like you don't get immediately alienated from that mm-hmm. um because if that's not done well then you're not going to really listen to what they're saying yeah because you're gonna be like this is weird that they're singing mm-hmm I'm involved in a production of Full Monty right now, and there's a song that starts uh, literally with, like, a note. It's like, ding! And it's, like, such a punchline, and it's, I mean, it, it really, that's in a great example of how, like, Sondheim will always talk about how music is, like, once music happens, you're very aware of it. It's like, yeah. music is here! Like, and yeah. that's a great example of, like, but also a great use. I mean, I mean, your scene is mm-hmm. your moment is a great example of like how you can use that to your advantage. Yeah. Because it again, it's like swelled with when that happened with her character. Yeah. Content follows. Content is beautiful. Yeah. Uh, check your uh, your photocopy that I made for you of a uh, of the book. Oh, okay. So you could figure out what it's content content dictates. Content forms. dictates form. Okay. Less is more. Yeah. Content dictates form. God is in the details. God is in the details. Content dictates. Okay. Okay, you'll get it. Thank you for printing that off. I mean, it's. I have got an it's Amazon no problem. delay. I mean, you know, it's actually no problem. I um, I mean, so, I did. I, I used up the last of my um. The last of my ink on one copy, and then I actually had to go buy more because I only printed out half of it, and then that's why, I, I spent a lot of money on ink. But we can kind of work that out later when we do the, uh. The uh, the pay stuff for this, you know, when we work out there. Right. Yeah, we'll have to sort that out. Yeah, I we'll mean, sort it out. I mean, I know that you owe a lot, but... I owe a lot. Right, because I keep... I mean, I bought... Uh, it got us this studio. Oh, I owe you a lot. Yeah. Right. The studio. But I guess you have to consider uh, the name. Who came up with the name? That was me. Right, and we're kind of still deciding that, so maybe we could... After we decide the name, we can kind of, like... I think it's we pretty Sondheim, clear Sondheim. that it should be Sondheim. But Sondheim, Sondheim. Again, we'll leave it up to the listeners to decide, right. maybe. We'll have a vote on our website. Yeah. Um, 
And also, I but also I paid for our blast services. Okay. So I blasted us. All right. I also I wrote the letter to Joe Rogan. So. Oh, recommending us. We could get into this like. Off mic. Off mic. Where the listener doesn't need to know about our dirty financial secrets. Well, and also we'll have to see after ad revenue, after all, right. all that comes in, how the. Well, I'm here. I'm drinking my Coke, my ice cold Coke. Right. I thank think you Perry... for the sponsorship. Yeah. I th- thank you, Coke. Thank you. Coke. Um, amazing, great taste after all these years. Mm. Um, I think Perry's got a mo a mo now. If you want to go ahead and blitz ah, us to the like next. Nothing like that sugary sweetness of a nice. Yeah, Coca-Cola. you taking a good swig. I took a yeah. I mean, take another one. Make this sure is it's a, ice cold. This is a Coca Cola. It's it's not one of these diet cokes. This is no no no. Diet cokes are cool too. What we don't want is Pepsi. Boo boo Pepsi. Yeah, yeah. fuck you. You know what I like to say? I like to say Pep. Pep no, it was as in Spanish no, right. the opposite of C. <laughs> Thank you for <laughs> saving me from that. I just started saying that. I was like, I'll think of something. Yeah, no, it's it's obvious. <laughs> okay. It's just obvious. Okay, so all right, so my mo number two, and I don't know if these are in order. I mean, I love Sondheim equally. All the stuff. Not that's actually not true, and we'll get to the shows that oh, we gosh. don't like as much. But um. Yeah, uh, Pacific Overtures has to be a very quality one for me, especially. Um, it's su- as long as we're kind of on this topic of non-traditional storytelling, this is very non-traditional. Mm-hmm. It was originally done and should only ever be done with an entire Asian cast, yeah, because it takes place in Japan at the time of uh, basically the end of their isolationism when America came in and Commodore Perry. Commodore Perry um, is your namesake. My namesake. Yeah, I am related <laughs> very, to Commodore. Are you serious? That's true. I'm named after Commodore Perry. That's true? Yeah. You get a lot of blood on your hands, bud. Well, um, I think it's, you know, it's not my blood. It's my family's blood. And just because my no, family. No, it's not your blood. It's not your blood. It's the blood of the, the people your family slaughtered. Right. But yes, that's true. But I didn't slaughter them. My family did. And just because my family slaughtered a bunch of people, I mean, that doesn't mean I feel that that should have happened. Your mom and dad. Despite the fact that I grew up in the lap of luxury. I know. Because of this. And and despite all that, you still can't pay for photocopies. You should just get right into your moment anyway. Okay. (laughs) Perry is your first name, so that doesn't even make sense. So you can see why this show is uh, very resident with me. Mm -hmm. Anyway. um, (laughs) So this is, um, again, this takes place in Japan. Uh, The characters are kind of loose. It's the original production, uh, which this is actually not a video. This is a bootleg. Anyway, I'm going to restart that. The original production uh, was done, I'm pretty sure, I'm going to sound maybe offensive if I get this wrong, but I'm pretty sure it's done in traditional kabuki style. I think that's right. Um, Staging and uh, costume-wise, since there have been several adaptations where that's been loosened up a little bit, but it's truly an incredible show. I mean, it's um, you can tell this is also after Sunday in the Park. No, well, before. It's before. Before okay. Sweeney. Before Sweeney? Yeah. Wow. Well, this is, in that case, this is a really good indicator of some of the more complicated rhythms and hmm. harmonies that I think he got into that I, you know, are, I, I would compare this show pretty closely to um, 
Sunday in the Park, actually, in terms of, like, adventurousness in yeah. your musicality. Um, I think it's, you know, you have to mention that it's maybe a little bit problematic for all white men to be putting on a show about uh, this very sensitive part of history. But I think it's done in the most sensitive way possible, um, in a way that doesn't... Uh, you know, play into the white savior narrative like some shows like Miss Saigon do. Yeah. Uh, well, and, also uh, like I think it, it really kind of like points the uh, the camera at the at the white audience. Oh, totally. I mean, like I I got to remember what this dude's name is called so I can reference it for sources. But in the this post this book I have read about postmodernism in Sondheim, Whoa. Uh, which I'll just plug in the real details later. Uh, he talks about Pacific overtures and how. Just what a spectacle it was to have the audiences for these shows be like the pretty much white audience, the white, you know, yeah. upper class audience of Broadway and just being kind of put on blast in a way that they maybe didn't quite expect. Mm-hmm. And also they didn't understand the show at all. Yeah, like, right. So it's even an argument like whether they understood that aspect of it. I mean, I'm sure like a... a a, a well-rounded theater goer probably saw that but and that also that's a good thing i want to talk about is like uh something that i would like to do a good job of focusing on this show is like the the problematic or possibly problematic uh aspects of sondheim shows totally yeah because uh, i think that he is sort of like an edgy guy and he he's been really really he's tried really hard to be like intentional about his edginess yeah um, well, that's his whole thing. Right. Um, I mean, uh, you, the, there are interviews where he literally fesses up to being like, you know, or I think it's in one of the, the like teaching videos that he did, mm. like the master class at, where, yeah. where he's like, if an actor asks you like why you said this word, you just, you should just make something up yeah. on the spot just to like, be like, no, this is my intention. Yeah. Basically. I mean, I don't think he said that in, in that that sort of wording but uh, mm. anyway um something about the problematic oh i don't even yeah. think that i think that there's um oh, there's more problematic <laughs> you were you were gonna say something and then you made like one point and then i was like Ugh. something about the about him oh well you know i don't know i i just think that um i we we have a little bit of like a, a, a half joking like cult following of, of the steve mm-hmm. um i think that he mostly holds up as like a modern day person because i feel like he is very down to like admit his mistakes and like totally. areas that he could have done better he's written two giant books about yeah <laughs> criticizing his his and and others work but yeah a lot of his he's very well. critical of himself which yeah. i think i feel like that is like i mean to me like that makes it a lot easier to consume things like west side story which is like you know maybe like it's like Again, it's like some white people like trying to make a statement about like race. Yeah. Uh, where they like maybe fall short in like some categories. If it was just the show standing alone, it would be harder for me to just thoroughly enjoy it. Mm-hmm. Whereas I know that Stephen Sondheim can like look back at this and, you know, think about what he could have done better. And that's something that can kind of like enter their narrative too is like what these shows are trying to say is still a topic that exists and can still be kind of like dialogued with. Mm hmm outside of the production yeah and the magic of theater is that even problematic shows can be staged or directed in a certain way so that you can either shine a light to the problematic moments or um i don't know i guess edit them out in a way or just like yeah reframe them i guess yeah 
Um, and I guess uh, this is... Okay, so this is for Black Dragons. Mm. Um, again, this is not fantastic quality. This is uh, about... Um, I think this is from a 2001 production. Not a huge August production from my, from my research, I'm pretty sure. I think it was like a... Sort of like a maybe equity or uh, just higher up non-equity production in California around 2000, mm. 2001. Um, but this show does not get done very often because, again, it needs to be all Asian people. You yeah. just have to have all Asian people. No question about it. Um, every member of the cast. Yeah. So, um, uh, But I think when it happens, it's a real showcase of Sondheim's musical ability, music writing ability, not only his lyrics. Um and um, what I like about this is just, again, I have a background doing pits in mm. non-equity productions. Right. Uh, I enjoy it very much. And the most enjoyable part by far of the process, which can be somewhat grueling, um, is the sits probe. Which the, for sits the, probe. the sits probe. Which for Everybody's those that part. don't know that are the Vondel probe for dancier shows. This is basically when uh, the band has been rehearsing or is rehearsing for the first time and they meet up with the actors so it's yeah. very exciting there's a buzz of ed- energy in the room because if the, you know especially if it's like a new show or something you maybe a little bit heard. of nerves yeah you, maybe some nerves but also like you know we haven't heard like the the musicians haven't heard what the actors are going to do oh, yeah the they've act- been hearing the piano yeah yeah and then so. the actors have like finally are able to hear uh you know what the musicians are doing and there's just i love this video so much because it's like a great indicator that made me really happy to see that like multiple times in this video people look over and are like whoa this is yeah. fucking cool so like Pay attention to the mo's, like those mo's. Yeah, those uh, mo's. Those mo's because the actors uh, do that several times, and also like at one point a trumpet player is even like, "Well, this is fucking cool." <laughs> so uh, yeah, you can just play it. Yeah, I, right. We won't include all of this, but again, not great quality, but an epic song. So smart. Look at the trumpet for He's like, damn. Woo! <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty far outside of any recognizable Broadway idiom, too. Oh. It's like, yeah, it's not very much like any kind of musical that you've ever heard. That's sort of what I mean, like, um, yeah, at least, like, um, connotative, not, that's the wrong word, but, uh, oh, okay, this is just a great little scene. Basically, a father, like, head of a family is, like, trying to evacuate because, okay, so this is the moment when the ships first enter, and because in, in this part of Japanese history, uh, they've literally like not seen you know this sort of ship or anything yeah so it's like they think that's why it's called four black dragons they don't know what the fuck it is they're like holy shit this is the apocalypse yeah um we've been in isolation so long we don't know what this is and this is just hilarious like you can see too the actors are just like buzzing like they're just happy to like be doing these lines yeah And she's saying a mother does not walk, she rides. 
It's it's the, the whatever the patriarch character's mother. They're having a lot of fun. Yeah, they're having fun. It's just like yeah, it's just a good time. You see the fucking costumes on the rack yeah, over there? Maybe yeah, they were trying that on before this, <laughs> taking some measurements. Um, you gotta you gotta just recognize the electricity of a production that's yeah, going well. Honestly, it's cool. Because you could tell. Also, sometimes there's. A probe day that is not fun. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, they, they can go badly. Yeah, but you could if everybody's smiling and shit, it seems in a good mood. Yeah. And this isn't like the eighth time they've run through the song. <laughs> yeah. You know that feeling when it's like, oh, we were supposed to have Sits probe last week, but like it wasn't ready, and then yeah. it's like, oh man, we were supposed to get through the whole act one today, we only got halfway through. Yeah, that happens very often. That's um, a rough feeling. Yeah, but these this seems to be like maybe the first or second run through, and then just like. That's all you can. The narrator is a very good part. He's, it's incredible projection. That's one thing I noticed about him. Like the other two guys that are singing earlier in the song have mics. This guy is literally just—he's the narrator character. Um, yeah. He's literally screaming in this room. Of, and uh, you know, this is probably like a twelve-piece orchestra or yeah. bigger. Yeah. Oh, this part's pretty good. So just for like, you know, text painting, which is a term we use in music for like the music uh, illustrating a, a moment. It's like mm. you get, you know, the, the lyrics are like uh, peering through the fog, like through the mist, like when, uh, with all that trumpet stuff, like yeah. very soft. You can almost see like the, the ships entering the harbor. He's like almost too good at I setting, know. you know, <laughs> like no one else really <laughs> sets shit so well. All right, yeah, this is this this song is incredible. It's probably my favorite song from this show. Um, and again, the the original production of this is on YouTube. Definitely worth a watch. Yeah, good just, good quality. Fucking incredible. Yeah, incredible quality too. I'll tell you what, you gotta watch Sunday the Park. I gotta watch this one. Yeah, let's do that tonight. You gotta do it. Sorry. This part's sick. <laughs> Look at this. I know. No, this dude is loving it. I know. Oh, all stay together. Oh, man. <laughs> Fucking grooving. And we've already heard the steam already, but he... I mean, that's also, I mean, nothing we haven't even mentioned the fucking orchestrations yet. Oh, my God, yeah. Fucking, uh, Johnson Tunic. I don't know if he did the show, actually. But he probably he did. definitely did the original, because he did, yeah. like, every single Sondheim show, yeah. pretty much. Um, just, you know, this is the second time this theme has happened. Second or third, really. Yeah. But it's completely different stuff. Jonathan Tunick really, like, I've, I have found no clip of that man, like, talking or any oh, interview. Really? I, oh, looked? no, actually, I was thinking of a Paul Gemignani interview. Oh, Jonathan Tunick, though, it's like, uh, I mean... Even before I knew what like orchestration meant, I feel like some of my favorite parts about the show is like Sweeney Todd and shit are just like the fucking arranged. Yeah, instrument choices or percussion choices, especially. Yeah. Uh, Even you know, Stephen Sondheim does have like a say in a lot of that, but yeah, 
but he deserves a lot more credit than I think. Yeah. Which is, and I mean, Sondheim has also been vocal about that. He, in his Oscar, famously in Tony winning. In every Tony winning speech, he will uh, call out his boy John. Hot take on um, on uh, the Tonys. The that Tonys they don't do have, not have a category for this, which <laughs> I think is a real shame. For orchestrator, um, yeah. Okay, yeah, let's go to the next. Your next Mo. Alex is number two Mo. Okay, what? Oh, you know what I was going to do? I was going to do another Bernadette. Oh, yes. Okay, yeah. So Bernadette, I mean, we talked about her in the Sunday in the Park. Um, but uh, many people, I mean, see her. This is a very common platitude to be spewing out. But um, she is known as kind of like the premier interpreter of Sondheim. Mm. She's been in many of the original productions. Uh, many, I think, two to three, maybe. But um, as throughout her career... Um, undoubtedly proved that she knows how to interpret um, what are what can be very difficult emotional parts or just lyrics or just music. She's been a couple original characters, right? So she she was the dot was like written for her. You know what I mean? Okay, yeah. I think, um, and the same with the witch. Yeah. Um, this one is from Follies. This yes. the character was originally played by somebody else. I think Dorothy yeah, Collins. Uh, Dorothy I think. Collins, yeah. Um, who also fucking rocked. I also love the original, but mm-hmm. I gotta give Bernadette to this one just because, I mean, she had a lot of benefit of like the shit had already been out and yeah, she she often gets that edge on people that yeah. she, she gets to kind of like reshape the character. You get that sometimes with revival. I mean, oftentimes I don't like uh, revival recordings, but sometimes the, the performances from the actors end up more honed, if you will, because they know the, the, the song has existed for however many years. Right. And this, is this, I think this show is a pretty great uh, example of that because I mean, both her and I forget who plays Phyllis in this revival, but oh, god damn it, I forgot yeah, her name. I just rewatched it. I no, I'm gonna remember um, this. Elaine, no, no, she's in it. Elaine May is in it. She plays the, um, she does the. I'm still here. Right. Can't find in Buddy's eyes in this book. Oh, here it is. Um, well. So what you're going to want to do, get on your YouTube browser, look up. I looked up Bernadette Peters in Buddy's Eyes, and it's like you get it right away. It's yeah. the first thing. Um, pretty good bootleg of this online, not going to lie. Uh-huh. Uh, this Kennedy Center version, I really like it because I think that the actors just really um, – well, we don't have really that much good surviving footage of the first production. Though what we mm. do have, I think it was probably fucking sick. Mm. People talk about it. They were like, that was a great production. I was there. Um, <laughs> this production, though, also very great. Uh, Bernadette, again, brings her fucking emotions out. And she's just real good at, like, jumping right into the character. So mm. hers, basically, I'm not going to go too far into the show because I don't think that we need to for this clip. But... Follies is about a reunion of sorts mm-hmm. of these uh, show people, show girls, we shall say, uh, who were in a, a Zigfield Follies style review. Mm-hmm. So campy Broadway shit in the past. And they're kind of coming back to this theater where they were performing when they were 20 somethings for the first time. And a lot of them are 
kind of unhappy about where they are in life and where things have taken them since they were in this show. Mm-hmm. And so coming back there brings up a lot of quote unquote ghosts mm-hmm. in the show. There's literal ghosts. Yeah. It's a good, if you like stories that sort of encompass like a, a person's feeling of their whole life. Yeah. And like almost uh, summing up a character's experiences or whole thing <laughs> then you will love this show and also just again non-traditional storytelling right the plotless. first yeah plotless uh the first t- well there's sort of a linear plot within the evening yeah you but it's say. just like it's just like their fucking feelings yeah but it is mostly like vignettes of different scenes but there i would say there is a progression of like climax of of... There's a structure. Yeah, I mean, they yeah. start off. They um the the characters um uh the two couples basically Ben and um Phyllis, Phyllis, and then Sally and uh, Buddy. Mm-hmm. Um, they show up and initially they're like all chummy, like oh yeah, I remember this, blah, blah. and then very quickly it they separate and they have their own realizations about their lives and whatnot, and then the second act. Uh, which we were talking about before. It was originally all done mm. in one, but I, I like the splitting up much more. I couldn't fathom Gives seeing you a just Jesus. I, sometimes Christ. I gotta go to the bathroom, you know. Uh, you now we can use all that poly stuff. I'm glad. Uh, but, yeah. Um, yeah, but I couldn't imagine being hit with the onslaught of song after mm. song after song. Um, especially because they're just so they're very very emotional songs. Yeah, and especially like the, there's basically many moments. This is another if you like tr- if you like tropes of like. People losing their minds, basically. There are, there are several examples of that in this show. There's a song called Losing My Mind. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Sang by Bernadette Peters but very also, well. But also, um, yeah, there's a great number towards the end. Uh, okay, so I said the second half is basically the conflict linear storyline yeah. of the actual uh, reunion, the party. Uh-huh. The second act breaks wide open, goes to a fictional, like, representation of their thoughts about relationships or love. Yeah, they basically all have, like, a breakdown yeah. together. and they go into what is called Love Land, which is... Uh, big hallucination. Yeah, big, giant hallucination <laughs> where the younger versions of themselves... See, okay, this is what you get into yeah, this shit. Yeah, you gotta just, like, pretty much just have to watch it. You hear how crazy I sound describing this story, but it, yeah. when you watch it, you will, like, see how... Ah, uh, uh, God, just how... Sorry, I just rewatched Folly, so I'm like really, I'm really into it again. It is followable. Yeah. Um, I will say, like, when Loveland finally drops, I think it's a pretty fucking chilling moment. I I, I almost yeah. picked um, "You're Gonna Love Tomorrow" that song with yeah. the young couples because um, when you hear it, it's just like, oh, this is like a nice like, uh, period style show tune. Mm-hmm. But when you see it after all those fucking arguments, yeah, it's like truly disturbing like it's really 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 chilling and you can you can parse from the uh there's the whole kennedy center the one alex is going to play from the whole bootleg is available on youtube but you can you can definitely see that they're uh, yeah again they're terrifying moments this show like um again if you if you're horrified by like reflections of people's past i mean like black mirror and stuff like um, no, it's generally like a very disturbing show. Yeah, like that. The, the show opens. I mean, again, we'll go into it, but basically, like the ghosts of previous Creepy performance shit. are like wandering Eerie, around like... the stage, and then 
Bernadette Peters comes out and she's like, it's been so long. Yeah, she's so fucking, glad she's to be so here. good at acting oh out of her God. goddamn mind. Yes. Yeah, she is really, really good at doing like the whole Sally is like a fucking <sighs> insane person. Like God. she hammers it home so hard yeah. without being too over the top. All of these actors handle mental illness incredibly like nuanced. Yeah. And uh, incredibly nuanced. Um, the Ben is super good too. Yeah. Oh my God. And, I mean, uh, we're going to go too far. Yeah, we'll, okay. we'll have obviously a series of episodes about Follies. Yeah. But for this song, um, basically, Sally Durant is a character who uh, is the wife of Buddy, who's one of these two couples that we're talking about. The plays generally focused around these couples. And. Sally sort of wishes that she had married Ben, who ended up marrying Phyllis, her best friend. So Sally, best friend of Phyllis. Mm -hmm. Phyllis married Ben. Sally married Buddy. This song is Sally talking to Ben, who is her old-timey crush. And her, her whole thing throughout the show is like kind of like coming to see him and like trying to like reignite that spark that they had. Yeah. Because there was like a little bit of a thing back mm -hmm. then. Um, so she is talking to Ben. And basically, she's like, "Oh, you want Ben is like a big famous billionaire. Yeah, he is like the mo the world's most. He's like Donald Trump. Like he's like the world's most successful man. Yeah, um, and just like a big asshole. But he's like, yeah, I get the fucking deal. I get the bargains. I mm -hmm. run the company. I smoke the cigars. Imagine like a Joe Rogan. Yeah, Joe Rogan. Like someone from Joe Rogan's high school. Almost like, like Joe Rogan and Elon Musk. Fucking both just like." jerked off into a test tube and then we made a baby out of their combined seed <laughs> that's not the point I was, going <laughs> I was gonna say like if if like a joe rogan was like confronted at like a, a high school reunion by right like a high oh school that makes sense or yeah something. like or this elon is, musk this i'm just trying to who who is like done nothing with their life basically like right yeah uh, this is the kind of like relationship these two have so we, we they're just go... they're chit-chatting and she's like well you're a very successful man blah 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 well i have a really cool husband yeah <laughs> so this song is called in buddy's eyes and it's about how much he loves buddy which is in the show is pretty obvious by this point um there's a buried meaning of this song that she you know she obviously like her whole thing is that she's unhappy and that she like doesn't really love buddy you know what yeah. i mean um so this whole song has a great double meaning which is a common thing in Sondheim, I would say, is, is someone singing a song that has... I mean, this show is pretty fucking full of it. Yeah. With someone singing a song that has, a, you know, an extra subliminal meaning that is equally important to, the, like, the literal text. Mm -hmm. um, Which is basically, like, you know, she's saying in Buddy's eyes, I'm young, I'm beautiful, all this stuff. But mm. basically what she's saying is, like, that's how she wants ben to see her yeah like she because ben longs for his younger self he says later in a song of his like the ben of my past like who will remember him he's looking for that connection to his past and she kind of plays perfectly into that by being like i'm just how you remember me yeah they they like come to this thing down to be each other's yeah. like fantasy. Yeah, you know yeah. what I mean? It's and it's like fucked up. it's fucked up and it's also like so like recognizable. Like yeah. I feel like it wouldn't be so chilling if it wasn't so obvious when you watch it that like, oh, like tons of people have like done this with their lives like IRL. Yeah. And they I mean like Sondheim and Prince or Goldman, you know, like they were like in the industry. So like this is based on like real shit. Yeah, they probably it's fair to say they probably had some sort of interactions like these even like uh in the merrily we roll long documentary when they go back to the theater oh. those kids it's kind of like this yeah like i didn't realize until i watched follies after watching that 
I was like, this is kind of like some Follies level shit of these yeah. people going, people coming back to like a spot where they were and being like, oh, it's so much smaller than I remember it. And just like the fuckery of that, that like you've been like l- building lore in your head about a certain yeah. place for so long. Um, even just saying that when Buddy's like, I think I scratched my initials back here, you know, like shit like that. Like just like, yeah, it's a it's the ghosts of time. Time goes totally. It's it's a very heavy show, despite the fact that behind uh, funny thing happened on the way to the floor. <laughs> it's probably like the most like conventionally. Musically. Musically. Um, because, again, of all these pastiche numbers. But also, I think that the conventional music is rendered to, like, a pretty devastating re- result because, as a listener, you're just so fucking confused yeah. by, like, cues of what a show is supposed to be. Right. You're getting all this sh- really heavy shit thrown at you that, like, honestly could be, like, pretty upsetting if you weren't ready to, like, yeah. ex- experience these conversations. Yeah. But also, you're getting, like, these very peppy show tune numbers, which yeah. is why, like, by the time you get to, like, Live, Laugh, Love, like, that shit is, like, fucked up. Like, yeah, that's that's the, the number I was, I was talking about earlier, that basically that musical... There's a musical breaking down as well as a character breaking down. Very scary moment. I don't want to go too much into it because you kind of have to hear that song. It's fucked Basically, up. Basically, <laughs> he starts like forgetting his lines, and then like it's you just. It's like oh. I feel like I want. I would just. I would love to be. I've never seen Follies live, but I figure if a production really fucking nails that moment, yeah. Um, to be in that audience must be like a really electrifying thing. Yeah. Because the literal show falls apart. This is also um. After Ben sings a song called the road you didn't take yeah where he's kind of like telling his version of the lie of the lie yeah that's what i was talking about the end of that song is basically like him saying uh who remembers my past self and have i drifted too far from that is was it a good choice was it a bad choice he doesn't really know at the end of the song if you are a person who ever even in some form lies to themselves <laughs> about your own life which is like if you don't like Try it out. Turn this podcast yeah, off just and, like, lie. Just go lie ascend to, to the throne of God. Yeah, because, like, honestly, if you don't think you lie to yourself, you're probably lying to yourself about <laughs> yeah, that, too. Yeah. But this is a show of, like, watching someone, like, go through the torturous process of being, like, okay, I'm lying to myself about these things, but, like, which part is the truth? Like, you lose track of, like, what the truth yeah. is in your own narrative. And then through that haze, like, what what do I even do about it? Yeah, right, right. Like, what next yeah. is a big thing of this show. And they... There pretty much is no what next. Yeah. I think a lot of these shows are pretty desolate because, like, um, I mean, I would almost go as far as to say, like, every single Stephen Sondheim show has, like, a pretty desolate fucking postmodern approach to, like, so much shit is unpacked and unveiled. Mm-hmm. And then there's a moment where there, where it's like, what next? What do we do with this information? And there's never an answer. But, again, that's valuable art. Like, you know, um we need that yeah we really we really need that we need art that is causing conversations i mean I, it gets I you think, talking after the show yeah i think it gets you making a podcast there's a reason why things like get out um, yeah are are incredibly important or like sorry to bother you because mm. they are incredible pieces of art and then they like leave you being like fuck fuck, fuck yeah yeah fuck and it's not just like a what you would typically think of a musical which is like Overture. Well, because the intermission, the, the entertainment, closing number where everything is wrapped up perfectly. Right. Like that's again, that's not how it works in real life. So. The the entertainment 
aspect of it lets you let your guard down and kind of like let these they hit you with some fucking low emotional blows which yeah. you maybe like would not have gotten hit with so hard if you weren't uh like letting your guard down because you're in a musical mm. and you're used to these tropes yeah um in in the Sondheim book finishing the hat where he has all the lyrics laid out with commentary uh after buddy's um sorry no uh Roji didn't take has happened and then before in Buddy's Eyes, the little text that he wrote is, a little later, it is Sally's turn to lie. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Oh, I, I can't wait to get to that. <laughs> book. Um, I want to I just read um, a lyric that's written down. This is a good example of Sondheim having lots of fun. And also, Roji didn't take us like this, too, where he's... Um, for you uh, music nerds out out there, <laughs> he's shifting meters basically like for a couple bars at a time, um, pretty much to fit the lyric. Uh, so it's it's some tricky like time signature shift shit, but you don't think about it when you're hearing it. It's not like you're listening to like uh, Rush, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like it, it's I I, I I try not to use the word mathy so much, but it's like pretty fucking mathy, dude. Um, <laughs> But, but also concise because he has yeah. to fit a lyric over it, and he's very uh, aware of that. This, this, I just want to read this stanza, and then we'll hear Bernadette like sing it. But, um, and yes, I miss a lot living like a shut-in. No, I haven't got cooks and cars and diamonds. Yes, my clothes are not Paris fashions, but in buddy's eyes. There's <laughs> like three bars of nine. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I, I don't know. I mean, just I guess the main point is just like listen to that part when it comes up because yeah. it's like so non-conventional song phrasing. But it's mm-hmm. like leads into the chorus of the song as if it was like the most conventional thing ever. Like yeah. as if it was just like inevitably normal. Yeah. So this is in Buddy's eyes. And naturalistic. I was a lot about the future. Right. The vampire, what she's saying, is also like a theme that we've heard a lot. And but then her song kind of takes a, a left turn. This is her trying to like. 
disguise her contentedness. Like, and this is the point when she, like, can't hide it anymore. Like, she... She is being, like, sarcastic in those lyrics, mm-hmm. but she's also trying to be like, well, it's not like this, but, you know, whatever. She she just takes a lot of pleasure out of having Ben think that this is her life. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. She, again, she's thought out everything about, like, how to do this. This is their younger versions. Just make out. <laughs> her I love this, this accompaniment. Yeah. We've also dropped tempo like a little bit. Oh, yeah. And it's like, what? I mean, the first time she sang this, it was like exploding the dynamics. Yeah. And then this, just lyrically, this time through, the chorus is a lot longer. And it, I don't know, the rhyme scheme. Uh, opens up a lot or like expands from what it was super cool I love that part it's also a song for um, the, the performer to really like lead the orchestra especially like during that chorus it's like oh, yeah. heavy fucking rubato and yeah. like truly just like however she wants to take it and Bernadette kind of takes it like super slow and like mm-hmm. she makes she makes a meal out of it. Same thing with like when she does send in the clowns. She really like milks every every note, yeah. yeah. Because she's got the chops, dude. Yeah. Like <sighs> she's like old too. She's like fifty. I feel like she's pretty. She's up there. Um, and it's so seamless too. Like she's to sing these incredible melodies, you know, huge octave jumps. Yeah, and like act too. Like no, incredibly. she doesn't. She does not betray, betray the fact that it's very difficult yeah. music to sing. Yeah. Um. Oh, Jan Maxwell. That's who was. Yeah, 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 okay, yeah, yeah. She's incredible. Yeah. Okay. So again, I don't know if I, I I put this list together somewhat quickly, but uh, I don't know if this would be my number one, but it it is on the list, so whatever. Um, can you search putting it together, please? Oh, I think that's a great option. Um, this is this was very impactful to me, uh, actually, Alex, when you showed me Sunday in the Park in high school. Really? Yes. Um, because. And still is, to a certain extent. This song, Putting It Together, opens basically after a short scene. Uh, after a short scene, the second act of Sunday in the Park. Um, which is... No, no, I'm sorry. It opens with uh, It's Hot Up Here. Yeah. And then we transfer into the future. Which is... which is a, I feel weird about that. Oh, about it opening... Hot, hot Up Here? I have mixed feelings. Hmm. I, we can obviously get into that later. Yeah. I, I, sometimes I'm like, yes, I get it. I get why. Yeah. It also is, like, weird... It's an out-of-place thing. Yeah, you could probably just nix that number. There's no other place you could put it. Oh, yeah, there is no <laughs> really other place. There's no other place. Um, honestly, uh, I don't know. I guess it kind of works in that um, he is in the second act. He's doing a presentation. No, no, I'm sorry. He's not doing a presentation about um, the painting, but he's doing a presentation about his family. Um, and he has his... Uh, is his grandmother, right? Yeah. Um, he has his grandmother with him, who is the daughter of Dot, the character established in the first 
act who was the one time uh i guess in a relationship with uh uh george Soral fictionally um and so this guy who is related distantly to George Surratt in a somewhat murky line, what he believes, um, uh, is is doing a presentation about his family line basically through the context of these creations he makes called the Chromoliums. Chromoliums. And he's on Chromolume number seven now. Seven. So he, basically... They're getting so large. <laughs> this is... Uh, so basically, this song is him taking criticism about how he's um, not well either. It's his gallery premiere, yeah. so we see his piece, and it's like, it's kind of represents like what his piece might be. Yeah. Um, but it's like future laser fucking piece. Yeah, it's it's very like new age uh, technology. Um, but it also malfunctions. Yeah. So it malfunctions, and he so he had a little snafu. Mm. Um, and this is basically the aftermath of that. So he's, he's, he's gotten to the, he's gotten to the piece though. It's gotten, mm-hmm. it played, you know? Yeah, it played and this has happened and now he's in basically the reception. You afterwards. could imagine it being like a slightly flawed opening night. Yeah. You know what I mean? And this is Sondheim metaphorically, you know, taking people's comments. Yeah. And so this song is him like giving a soliloquy to the audience while also, taking criticism from people at the reception mm-hmm. and um, these little cardboard cutouts in this production, little cardboard cutouts of the actor uh, come up to take his place in the conversations as he continues to move on to other conversations and to talk to the audience. As if to say he's juggling the different aspects of his uh, profession. He right, has yeah. to sell, he has to, um, you know, jab, jab it up with his collaborators yeah. and be like, and then at one point, uh, the guy who plays Data comes up and um, that's right, and uh, tries to um, resign from his position and join NASA, and it's a funny kind of joke. And um, and so he's basically doing all these things, and the so the real uh, meaning of the song comes through in uh, the the lyrics that Mandy Patinkin delivers, basically saying like, "Real art is like getting the funding." Yeah, essentially. So it's a very cynical. Uh, view which you lasers are expensive yeah (laughs) which you could say again mirrors where Sondheim is at at this point and we'll touch on that more but this is his first off Broadway show so he's maybe maybe got some things to say to the critics the critics that's all I have to say about that we we can play it and this is also like this is a big famous one uh Barbara Streisand did it that's right yeah Uh, and also I heard it in a commercial recently really yes 100% yeah it's like a really stupid but I for what like some fucking furniture store, like some pure one shit. Like seriously, like, um, get that money, Steve. Yeah, for real. It's Lacey like boy furniture. It is like a very poppy arrangement of it too. Really? Yeah, it's very funny. Putting it together. Like I think it's, it's. I think it's no. It's it's at tempo. I think it. I'll also try to find it. Oh yeah, I want to hear. Um, that. but yeah. Anyway. I thought yeah. it went very well, except for that electrical screw up. What did you guys? These are his no. his techies. Techies, one of his collaborators, and his friend, former wife. And then this is just two people. Also, these people in Act 1 played George Surratt's critics in in their, like, 18th century garb. Right, so there's also the layer of, like, the reinterpretation of the actors playing different parts that somewhat resonate. Um, The mother in the first act plays uh, basically the artist's uh, worst critic, one that has praised him in the past but is now upset with his current um, output. 
He's an original. Was. I like the images. Some. This accompaniment is ridiculous. I know. I mean, this show is just out there. Musically. And this also, um, the guy who plays the maestro on Seinfeld. <laughs> uh, he's trying to connect to actors people may know. I'd like to just point out that I'm making a lot of hand motions to describe the music. It's a jazzy music. song. It's a jazzy song. Anyway, you look at it. Here's George now. Here he comes, Mandy Patinga. This is a very awesome entrance. And he's got no beard. Yeah. I love him. He kills it. All right. Along with Bernadette, he's also like probably a sociopath, but so lovable. I would love to be that keyboard player. It's gonna be so hard, I but I want to do it. Bernadette also just slays fucking old, doddering lady. <laughs> and this is my friend Billy also, the way that the accompaniment of the song turns into, like, piano ambiance music yeah, of, like, yeah, the reception yeah. is fucking amazing. Yeah, that happens sometimes in Follies, too. Yeah. It's really cool. Content dictate Content dictate I like to think of myself as an inventor as well as a sculptor. It's so unconventional for sculpture. So there's these, there's these little asides. Very comedic. You really gotta watch Mandy yeah. Patinkin do it, because he... When he is in the swing of it, he does some, like, expressions with his face that are very, like, human and genuine to me, but are not, like, conventional stage fare. Like, he, like, kind of twitches and shit. Yeah. I heard a quip about him in this show. Really? Jason Alexander said really? when he came to see him, because he was, I think, in rehearsals or doing merrily, like, around the same time. It was, they were close to each other. Anyway, um... And he was saying that Mandy Patinkin told him that he goes, is doing this thing where he goes neutral, where if he doesn't feel in the moment, like, any inspiration, he will do nothing. Like, he will just give nothing to no one, and, um, and just until he feels it, until he's, like, back in the swing of things, then he, he taps back in. And I like it. I mean, I don't know how much I pick up on that, but uh, I, I did hear that anecdote. And um, I feel like he must be, like, on all the way for this whole production then, because he's, like, fucking tearing up left and right. Yeah. I mean, at the end of this song, he's, like... But I would he say hams it up. I would say, but also to these both of the characters that he has to play, there's a certain amount of neutrality and like kind of like stoliness. Yeah, yeah, that yeah. actually plays into that in certain and the, the emotional parts. Obviously, like yeah, he has to give stuff. It's a up. super. I think it's a cool choice for this yeah. show. Yeah, yeah. And then, yeah, that part. Yeah. He's great at enunciating. It, that, that always stuck with me, that those little... He looks like he's, like, enduring, like, a stabbing. Yeah, yeah. You know? He looks like he has, like, a fucking nail in his foot while he's doing this, you know? And perfect, like, perfect syllables that Sondheim chose just to, like... Yeah, he really... like, tight consonants. He really... This is a great production because him and Bernadette really both, these rules were written for them, and yeah. they really, like, show you how 
the writing is supposed to be performed yeah. the way that that is like so successful. Does this guy play the American in the first act? I'm not. I, I'm not. No, he plays the. Uh, I think he plays Jules. Thought he played the sailor. Well, he might. He puts the drink in the cardboard cutout. Yeah, it was very funny. It's a, a comedic number, but also like. I want to kind of get through to the point where he like breaks down and then somewhat it's, it's like it becomes very dramatic. Can you maybe skip closer to that? You know the part I'm talking about? I love this part. Okay. Yeah, let's just watch through it. Yeah, so he's getting visibly angrier. Timpani comes in. It's just like fucking. We're achieving like some real fucking excitement and tension yeah. without like being really loud. Yeah. It's just like the fucking tempo's getting faster and yeah. it's getting frenetic. That's like a good Sondheim yeah. way to build shit. It's like hard not to like squirm in your seat while you're watching this, you know? Yeah, it just gets so. Alright, let's go to your last moment. Okay. And then we can do some wrap up. And then we can. Uh, Take our final sips of Coke. I'm almost done with my third Coke of the oh, episode. Yeah. Uh, that's Coca-Cola here, folks. Yeah, not, not a, pe not a Pepsi, right not a Mr. Pip. Um, so this song, if you go to the Sweeney Todd soundtrack or if you look it up on YouTube, the song's called Final Sequence. Is this the first song from Sweeney Todd we've had on our list? Yeah, I actually wanted to do all Sweeney Todd, to be <laughs> honest. Um, and I betrayed myself because here's some moments that I would want to do. The transition into Worst Pies in London, mm. um, where he they drum on a tin can or whatever. Yeah. Um, the um, the part where it's the, the letter, mm. most honorable George Turpin. Oh yeah, the wig yeah, the wig maker sequence. That crazy harmony. I must make you into a credible wig maker. <laughs> I must make you into a credible wig maker and fast and quickly. And quickly. <laughs> um, there's so many great. Oh, no, we did Epiphany. Epiphany was like your first. Movie. Oh right, that's yeah, that's right. Oh, so we're but. Uh, but, but to butt. Ta but ass to ass. Ass to ass. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck yeah, dude. <laughs> uh, the squeeze in a record for a dream yeah. reference. Um, um, so <laughs> this is the last one. So also I should say, I feel like spoilers? Like if you don't know. Oh, yeah, true. Maybe, yes. Sweet Todd has a few like big reveals. Yeah, I'm going to kind of like be a little bit. I'm, I'm going to be like, I'm not going to keep them too secret. You should, oh, yeah. You should watch Sweeney Todd. Uh -huh. Pause this and go watch Sweeney Todd. Not the fucking. Okay, here's what you need to do. You need to go find George Hearn and mm -hmm. Angela Lansbury, 1982. Yeah. It's like filmed by PBS or whatever. It's on Vimeo. It's on Vimeo, and it is so good. It's like one of my favorite fucking things. Um, I probably will talk about it for hours if I get the chance, but... Um, eventually we will do a whole Sweeney Todd Our episode. Sweeney Todd episode, I think, should just be, like, 30 seconds, talk about that. 30 seconds, yeah. talk about, of, like, No, I production. think we are going to just fucking rip it up. Like, yeah, yeah. Because there's so much to look at there. Yeah, by that so moment, we will have honed, honed this podcast to a fine sheen. I can't wait. When and it we will be analytical sparkles. Sondheim masters. Yeah, definitely. Um, I'm choosing for my f number one moment is the whole fucking final sequence. This song is just called Final Sequence, and it is 13 minutes long in the, in the soundtrack. In the show, I think it's like 20. All dying. Or something. Um, but basically, Sweeney Todd is like a fucking tragic melodrama, and the thing about a tragedy, unlike other forms of theater, 
is that this bit right here, this last bit, is what everybody is really there for mm. because it's like where everybody who's gonna die will die you know yeah. what i mean it's where every all the shit is gonna fucking come loose yeah and um obviously i won't get too hard into my like interpretation of sweeney todd but this is a man who's made some moral choices he started with a uh arguably justifiable revenge thing going on. Mm -hmm. And then he kind of went loose and started murdering everybody. Yeah. So he, um, what a little cuckoo. He kind of opened up Pandora's box there. And the, I'd say act two of the show is his shit just falling apart. Mm -hmm. And this last bit, a bunch of fucking things happen. Here's some stuff that happens. He's just killed the beetle. You, you, should, you have to know the show, but I'm not going to... You look it up. Read the yeah. plot summary. Okay. He's killed the beetle. Okay. Um, uh, <laughs> fucking... Okay, maybe we should give a little background in the story. I don't think we did at first. Sweeney Todd was He's sent away... He's the Barber of Fleet Street. <laughs> he was sent away to Australia or some... Bloody pr- Australia or somewhere. Some prison colony... Uh, on a trumped-up charge, basically so a corrupt judge could marry his wife or attack his wife, rape his wife. Yeah, and um, take their daughter. Yeah, and take their daughter. And so that happens, and then he takes her daughter. Joanna is the daughter, all Joanna right? is the daughter. And uh, this so the story begins with Sweeney Todd coming back. He goes to his old uh, house or whatever and meets Mrs. Lovett, played by Angela Lansbury in this production. She used to know him, blah, blah, blah. And so that's basically the context. He's trying that. to get revenge on the judge. Yeah, it's a revenge story. That's Act One. Yeah. At the end of Act One, he does not get his revenge. He has the judge in the chair, and then the judge slips away before he has a chance to kill the judge. And that's sort of the whole big turnaround of the show. The complication is that he doesn't succeed on his first try, and he's very frustrated by that. He mm. says, "If at first you don't succeed, kill them all." Yeah. Um. And well, so he's killed. The barber at this point. He's killed one person, but yeah. that was sort of like a safety kill. Like he was yeah. covering his ass. He's still uh, not going to say justified, but it you as you an audience why. member, you still like follow that. This is like okay, yeah. You watch shows where people kill people, you know. You've <laughs> yes. Seen the Walter White. You're you know? okay with death. You're okay if you're with that. To this podcast. You are okay with. You are in love with death. I don't know if I want to pursue. Well, anyway. that's what that's what the show's about. So yeah, fair enough. Um. Anywho, basically act two, he kind of like loses it. He gets a little bit of a screw loose and they kind of decide to just, he's going to still try to murder the judge, but he's going to also kill like everybody on the way. And I think that's when, you know, I, in tragedies, I think there is sort of like this tit for tat, like people, this idea that there's fate and people get what they deserve. Mm. And Sweeney Todd kind of fucks that up because he starts to like harm innocent people and shit. Yeah. And um, so it's a show where at the end of everything, we, you know, because of the the form, you kind of get the feeling that people are going to get their comeuppance or whatever. That people are going to get what they deserve. Mm-hmm. And at this point, it's just very complicated because people have a lot of blood on their hands. Yeah. So um, the first big thing that happens after in this song is um, his daughter Joanna is locked up in a fucking mental institution. There's this whole really big dramatic scene which is not included in the soundtrack but is part of the final sequence in the show, where. Um, her new lover, Anthony, goes ahead and busts her out of that place. And um, that's a great bit. I love Fog, of Fog's Asylum, because yeah. that's some real Hugh Wheeler 
again being an Englishman, yeah. some of those like that dude who plays Fog, I think also might play the bird salesman, and they both have huh. great British things to say. <laughs> the fucking Fog is just like he's he's the he's the one who's like and rewarded with a sweetie, you and they're good. Oh yeah. Jesus. Each one of them is my children. That's one flower. And he has like the big ass scissors. <laughs> And they go behind, like, a, a scrim. They go behind, they're projected onto... What I like about this, it's something I want to bring up. Mm. First, at the top of the fucking page, um, this whole last bit, we see a lot of theatrical devices which were not part of the show before. And to me, I think it represents everything falling apart. And the first bit of this final sequence is a song called City on Fire, where... Um, Anthony busts Joanna out of this, like, uh, bedlam-type situation, and... Asylum. Asylum, yeah. And, and, and Joanna herself actually kills the dude who has her there, the dude who, like, runs it and is all corrupt. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Um, so she shoots him because he, he cannot shoot, and then Fogg says, You are mad to drop your gun? Oh, right, I love yeah. the writing. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you are mad to drop your pistol, I think he might say. But, um... They bust out, but also all the people who were all the, you know, inmates or whatever, all the patients, not really, bust out and run to the street. And so we get, like, you know, 1800s untreated, mentally ill English people running around. Um, and they're singing about the end of the world. It's pretty fucking metal lyrics. Yeah, it's, it's like yeah. hunchbacks kissing, like fucking. <laughs> so they're basically just like seeing a prophecy of the apocalypse. Yeah. Um, but staging wise, when you watch this in the uh, Lansbury Hearn version, um, the whole time there's been one big set piece, which kind of uh, functions as all of the scenery. You know, yeah. it's like a big cube in the middle of the stage. And they turn it to represent different rooms and shit. And up top, it's like Sweeney's shop, whatever. Mm -hmm. um, in this sequence, first there was that thing behind the projected screen, right? And then when they break loose, they rip down the screen. And all everybody runs out. And all of a sudden, the stage is fucking empty. Mm. And there's just like a singular fucking red light shining on the lunatics. And I don't know. I mean, just like... I want to point to like a couple big moments with City on Fire that little bit yeah um amazing mm -hmm. so i hear that and then it goes on and, and another cool thing is that like you know the first act of the show and the first part of the second act there's like song 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 like kind of traditional song form type mm -hmm. shit um after like not while i'm around there's no more songs it's just all right. one big like thing yeah underscored sections it all kind of blends together it becomes like a little operetta so this is a good example of the fucking epic quality shit. To satisfy the hungry god of Sweeney Todd. He also is pulling out all of his musical scares for you. <laughs> so here's the lunatics. Just listen to the fucking shit they have to sing. Giant wings. Whoever gets to pull that, I know. I want to be that. This fucking. <laughs> 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 
so this is another example. Oh, I lost some dialogue. This is another example of musical themes blending together to illustrate basically chaos. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's like you are just like it's kind of like the end of Follies. It's just like yeah. you are like if you are emotionally invested up to this point, you are like fucked. Yeah. Like the show has you. You know what I mean? Yeah. All the themes that you have attached to your brain of like to mean the different things are all coming together and interspersing different also them walking around this bare stage with like Toby where oh, are you yeah, at yeah. Um, they look like they're in a cave or something oh my god and like I, it really is like if you watch this from start to finish you go undergo a real fucking experience because at the top of the show it seems kind of like cheesy because yeah. it's like this VHS recording of like <laughs> these funny costumes and shit yeah but like nobody is laughing by this point yeah it's like so dark yeah like in a way that like I feel like it's kind of unprecedented on the stage prior to this show. Mm. Besides maybe in, like, plays and shit. Yeah. Uh, musical theater never had been this, like, horrifying. Yeah, I mean, I can't think of a show where, like, horror is the... Yeah. You know, this, this is basically, like, a horror musical. And this is, we should also say, this is probably the easiest show most successful show in basically musical motives yeah. attached to characters being used in probably the best way out of all his shows yeah. in a way that the audience can follow someone, uh, someone analyzed it in terms of light, light motifs, light motifs. Yeah. I'm, not, I'm not a big Wagner fan but um, but uh, yeah but someone like counted all the little like motifs that are attached to different yeah and it, it really is fucking thorough like yeah you know whether it's how dissonant the accompaniment is, to, like yeah. tells you like how honest the character is being. You know <laughs> yeah, what I mean? Yeah, like yeah. shit like that. It's where it's just like fucking. No this is one thing I want to say about Sondheim. I trust my right arm. Truly, like layers of fucking accessibility. So if you don't, if you're not into like music theory and shit, musical theater, I think there's still a lot of accessibility for you there because it's still, at the end of the day, it's like an enthralling theatrical experience, yeah. which is really easy, I think, for people to relate to. Yeah. Um, but if you want to get into the technicality of it, like you can zoom in infinitely far, and there's like shit for you. Like, yeah. Like I had, uh, I accrued thousands of dollars in library fines because I had the score for this show in my house for too long because truly, like, you could just comb through it. Yeah. It... Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it, sorry, it, um... We're talking about multiple levels. I think this moment, Alex, this last song is a good indicator of, like, Okay, yeah, we can hear the the themes coming back and being used differently. I'm talking like to to appeal to like the layman at this point. Yeah, like, the layman. We can hear the singer is singing that thing they sang earlier. So, but it's different somehow. There's a different emotional context. Yeah. There's that layer, and then there's also like, again, if you choose to delve into that, like, the accompaniment is constantly, constantly, constantly quoting different things. Yeah, I mean, to... this theme has been here since, like, the first scene. Yeah. And this I, little underscoring. And I think that repetition is most successful in the show to the point that, like, even if you don't attach to those things, like, your brain is making those connections. Yes, definitely. I mean, some, God some, is in the fucking details, some subconscious dude. shit. Well, the whole goddamn show is built, like, he... Find, he t his original idea is like three notes. You know what right, I mean? Like yeah, he'll yeah. take the tiniest little motif and like invert it and twist it into like a whole ass opera. 
truly some classical shit. I want to play a little bit of his last. So basically, like, big fucking spoiler. Do not listen to what I'm about to say unless you really want to get the show spoiled. But big ol' spoiler alert. He kills his wife. Oh, shit. Um, by accident. Yeah. She was around the whole time. She was the beggar woman. Yeah. She was, like, just mildly annoyed by her. And then he accidentally, case of mistaken identity, he kills her on a fucking whim because yeah. he's just all bloodthirsty now and he doesn't even think about killing people. Yeah, he's lost all conscious. So he accidentally kills the person that this whole thing was about her in mm-hmm. the first place. So he's like, wow, I'm a big dumbass, basically. When he makes this discovery, I mean, it's, it, like, it's his whole world is basically shattered. Like, his life is, like, over. Yeah, the only thing he... Well, uh, yeah, so many levels. I mean, you could say that at at maybe Epiphany, when he makes the choice to kill whomever... He's already kind of committed his life. Yeah, so he's lost, like, the one point his life had. Yeah. So now his point is to kill people. Yeah. Or it's at least been diluted. And so he's, he's doing that, and then it ends up you know that that was the reason that he didn't get the first thing that right. he, he just... finally gets the judge and then but before he kills the judge he kills Lucy yeah cuz she's like oh yeah in his barber's office and the judge is coming up the stairs and he's like dude i need to kill this guy you got to get out of here yeah, girl yeah. and then he just like cuts her throat to get her out of the way so yeah. he can revenge the judge but the whole reason to revenge the judge is because of the love for his wife yeah anyway it's ultimate like ultimate tragedy fun, yeah it's like you know it's better than Shakespeare easily, but if you... <laughs> I think no, so. Yeah. I've read Hamlet a hundred times, and I think this is better. Um, yeah. But anyhow, uh, this last scene, he figures out he um, killed his wife, and he's pretty pissed at Mrs. Lovett because she kind of like – she lied. And she said that it was just some crazy old ba- – or she, she told him that um, Lucy, his wife, had poisoned herself. Yeah. Um, so he thought that she was already dead. Mm-hmm. Um. And so he's pretty pissed at her, so he's pretty much done with his life. Um, he's going to let, let a little child kill him. Uh, but first he has to kill Mrs. Lovett. And Mrs. Lovett also has to get her comeuppance. I think this is like a big thing. Everybody gets what they deserve. Yeah. Um, she's got to get burned in her oven because she cooked the bodies and she did a lot of bad things too. Yeah. And so she's got to get her – I think everybody gets like a pretty worthy death. Um, except for maybe Lucy, obviously. She's like the sacrifice – unfortunately of the show yeah so she's kind of fucked from the beginning lucy has probably not done anything no lucy's morally. just the, she, she's like the original victim that kind of like got the blood yeah. shed going yeah yeah um but and then tobias we i haven't even mentioned him you i feel like you should just if you're listening to this you should already have watched it because otherwise we're ruining it for you but yeah toby is like comes up and kills sweeney todd and i, I think there's like something super cool about like the most innocent little boy Who's the one to slit Sweeney's throat? Mm-hmm. He has no other blood in his hands. Um, he, he truly is getting one back at Sweeney because, he, you know, Sweeney's put him through a lot of shit. Yeah. Killed two people close to him. But he's also playing into, like, now he has the blood. Yeah. Like, the, he's, he's, he did the thing that... His he hair has turned white in the sewers. He was... That happens. Yes, he comes uh, out with a white colored wig. I get he's... my endings confused because, yeah, the the other production that's quite good is a bootleg on YouTube is um, Patty Lopone and Michael mm. Cerverus. John Doyle production. John Doyle, famous director who done multiple uh, Sondheim uh, revivals, a few of which the actors have played the instruments. So it's very cool. It's not the same effect of like 
the the you know the massive orchestra yeah um, but you get to hear the motives a little better Asahan so, himself said it's very claustrophobic oh that production mm-hmm. oh okay yeah yeah it feels it feels like a contained thing but some good performances and the ending is also is like very sparse so i'm i think i'm remembering that more maybe and like toby is like wrapped up in a straight jacket or oh something. yeah um but yeah this one i mean so many a couple things happen i'll just play it's like just like a two minute scene but he kills love it um i just want to say like the writing like the words themselves are so bare because it's just like what's happening is like i mean the, like the thing that always fucks me up is like the words that he says when he finds out that he kills his wife his literal line is oh my god yeah um <laughs> like his lines are his line is like what have i done yeah. you know what i mean um but it's on the actor like george hearn like screams it yeah um especially on stage like as always they always scream harder on stage but yeah. just watch the stage version because like he really like screams that shit yeah george hearn is the scream the screaming sweet this is len on the yeah on the soundtrack len caru great singer uh doesn't really bring the same amount doesn't of scream anger. as much yeah. yeah uh which again i attach to more um but totally in this and world. so so he gets all upset and then also um toby's little monologue that's another i think hugh wheeler probably is to thank for that but that's like a sick little fucking mm-hmm. doesn't make any sense it's so british yeah but it's very disturbing i mean the show is like unraveled at this point yeah yeah <laughs> i mean it's just like when i watch this i like it's hard to just like go to bed afterwards like, yeah truly like like tim burton can have his buckets of blood or whatever <laughs> but like truly like to get this fucking feeling of like it really makes you it puts you there like you are kind of at your wits end walking out of the theater mm-hmm. and i think there is something to be said about like made to be being made to sit and watch till this point yeah i would highly recommend just taking that recording and watching it all the way through in one sitting because it really oh, like please. yeah it will fucking explode your brain <laughs> He's realizing. Oh, he says, oh, no. <laughs> that is like a brand new theme. I mean, it's very sparse, but yeah. that, we haven't really heard that before. Yeah. Oh, no. I oh, no. He's realizing that she tried to reconnect with him yeah. at the beginning of the show. Also, speaking of, like, musical arguments, this is, like, another, like, you are in this shit, like. Yeah. Well, oh, yeah. I mean, this, like, sort of, oh, it's so creepy. He's, like, thinking about all the shit he's done. Yeah. He's, like, looking down at her dead body and, yeah. like, barely acknowledging her as she, like, tries to justify her actions. Good poison. She did never said that she died. Oh, your battery. That's when he says, oh, my God.
Oh yeah, so she finally confesses that she loves him, which has been like a thing. Oh yeah. And then he kind of like psychs her out. He's pretty sick. He's like, <laughs> he's like, I got time for one more little joke. He's a real funny guy. Very. No, come here, my love. He is totally gone at this. Oh yeah. I mean, George Hearn, I gotta say, like, especially if you've only seen Johnny Depp do it, just, like, do yourself a favor, watch yeah. my guy George, because, like, I don't think I would even want to meet George Hearn, because, like, I don't want to see his real personality. I feel like he just is Sweeney to me, and that's all right. <laughs> that's fine by me. Yeah, fine by me. And kills her. Nobody could convince me as much as him that they're just totally dead inside. You know what I mean? So there's a... A, a version of on Broadway World HD, or Broadway HD, I think, uh. where he revives his role. Right, he's like out of costume. He has curly hair. Yeah, yeah, I know the it's one. Much sooner, I've never seen that one. Um, I like it when he's in the costume. Yeah, I just gotta say, like, dude, like, he is larger than life. Mm -hmm. He is like it's so metal. That's why, like. I don't even want to be pretentious at this point with the Johnny Depp shit. Like, I don't want to hate the movie, but I just, like, I cannot take it seriously compared yeah. to, like, George. Yeah, that's fair. It's fucking Johnny Depp. Like, fair George is, I actually feel like he would kick my ass. You know what I mean? Like, he is a very scary man. I believe that he literally has killed people because he knows the kind of looks, the facial expressions needed for murder. George Hearn. Yes. Yeah. Again, I think all these people have bodies. Under their condos. All actors have bodies. All actors have bodies. If you know Angela the... Lansbury's killed like thousands of men. <laughs> murder she wrote. Yeah, murder she wrote. All, all the murders. Nonfiction. Were her. Yeah. Um, yeah. If only the bodies of previous characters they've been played in there. Wow. Fucking deep, dude. Yeah. That's but, the kind of content you're going to get. That's what you can expect. From Sondheim. From song, Sondheim's song time. Which leads us perfectly to our, our closing uh, segment yes. where we uh, firm up the name choice, which oh. happens every episode. I, th I say it's Sondheim Song Time. Well, you know where I stand on this. Right. The, over there in the shadows. Sondheim. Right. Okay. So I'd like to say a quick thank you to Ice Cold Coca-Cola for getting me through mm. this goddamn wretched day. Um, every time I drink a Coke, I think about the next 20 minutes of my life and how it's going to be that much more bearable because I have a, a Coke in my throat. Mm. Um, so I highly recommend you go out to your nearest 7-Eleven, Walmart, or Target and grab yourself a bottle in the cooler up front by the register, get a bottle of Coke because they are helping us out with a little bit of our funding. That's true. Yes. They are. And thank you so much to all of our Patreon contributors. I was able to just buy my third Python my third exotic snake because of the, our Patreon. I'll remind you of the name of that Patreon a little, little later. Yeah, we'll, we'll insert that. We're going to get our scams going. Get yeah, my scams for you. Yeah, my scams, we're calibrating the scams. Sometimes it takes a long time. If I think, well, yeah, we'll have gifts for you. If you give us money, we'll perform a song for you. Yeah, we'll do whatever song. you want. We'll I do, mean, I'll we'll do whatever you want. I want it to be in the lens of Son Sondheim. Um, so whatever you want. Yeah, I mean, a little dance or whatever. I mean, anything. Yeah. Yeah, a little dance, little. Uh... 
<laughs> a little web show. A little web show. Of any kind of content. Yeah. Just give us money, because... We actually do not have money. No, we do, but we spent it on... I spent it on snakes. Alex spent it on... So s- we need more. Snakes. And so, also, this script for this... It was the photocopying yeah. was the big fee at the Kinko's. Yeah, which... So, now that we've gotten to the end of the episode... Which is Perry's fault. I don't... And I'm glad that we could wrap that up. Thank you for giving me that. I wanted to go in off the cuff. Um, I I thought that that would be the most naturalistic way, the same way that our good man Stephen Sondheim um, might have uh, appreciated. It's just, it's like the listeners don't want to hear trash. So that's why I had to write all of your lines. Um, hey, can I hit that pen? Hey, thanks. Um, this is a weed. <laughs> Probably not going to include that. But I need some more improv juice. Um, <laughs> um, oh, so I just want to say welcome to the show. It's our first episode. Welcome. La, love me. Love my show. That's what I always say. Respect my show. Take your shoes off when you listen to it. Don't be eating crumbly foods while you're hearing the show. Um, we're going to basically, I already said this other times, but we're going to have next time you hear us, we'll be talking about West Side Story. West Side, West Side Story. I will do them to reach the moon, Rooney. Cut the frabba jabba. <laughs> um, yeah, and we, you know, we'll see what this podcast turns into. We're gonna have guests. We're gonna have people that have heard us on time. We're gonna have mm-hmm. actors. We're gonna have our friends. We might even have the Sondheim himself. Sondheim will be on the podcast. I think that's that's. I think he's gonna be on um, the frogs episode. The frogs episode. Yeah. Yes, talking depthly about <laughs> talking the about frogs. the frogs. Ah, I cannot wait for that. I don't know if we're going to go in order. We'll see. Uh, There's a few lobbed up at the beginning of the order of his compositional history that less, a little less than excited about. But we aim to reach every detail of Sondheim. Um, we're going to scrub every fucking inch yeah. of his mud. Yeah, it's true. But that, that'll be on the Frogs episode. Yes. When he comes on the show. We're going to live stream. Giving Sondheim giving a sponge Sondheim bath. A bath. <laughs> hey, just putting this out there in the world, like, no pressure, but free of charge, yeah, I will free, do that. Who, like, who just offers you a bath? You yeah. know, like, come on. Like, I, I would be delighted if someone offered me a sponge bath on their podcast. Let's make this a regular thing. Just every episode, a regular thing. Sondheim, Sondheim, we will give you a bath. I'm just going to give you a bath for free. For okay? free. For and we're, free. we're your biggest fans. Yeah. We're your biggest fans. You can talk about your lyrics for hours. You can talk about Oscar. Or not. You can talk about, or not. Feel free. We know the story, so you don't even have to update yeah. us about Oski. Yeah, yeah. You could tell us some juicy goss, or it could be in silence. Yeah. With us listening to your productions on our iPods. Yeah. But I would gladly bathe you no problem and we will sing your songs if you want us to and you could critique if he wants to just take us down and <laughs> and criticize our performances i would love that okay so this is how the situation is going to work first we're, we bathe him we're bathing you while singing your sir. songs <laughs> sir pretty women captivating <laughs> <laughs> i can't wait to show you my uh much workshopped uh uh, performance of Jeek and that boy Foxtrot. Oh, yeah. So, let's just make that a regular thing. We're going to bathe him, and he's going to take us down. 
yeah, you, just, you can just say the meanest thing you the can meanest think of. possible thing. It could be about our personalities. Yeah, it could be about our performance. You know how like actors are are so sensitive, and you have to like phrase your criticism so carefully. Yeah, you should just wreck us. Yeah, like just uh, everything that you ever wanted to say to an actor that you felt like you had to hold back. Yeah, top just let it loose. Top to bottom. Hey, yeah. listen about this, okay? Do you like my haircut? Maybe not. So you remember how you got your start. Oscar Hammerstein in that famous... All one afternoon. All one afternoon Fabled. taught you everything you know. Hey, how about this? We show up, bathe you, sing songs, you, you teach us to bottom, tell us everything wrong about ourselves. As if our sponge bath first crossed your desk. Yes. What would you think of our sponge bath? What would you think of us as people? And then... Do you like the way our house smells? Yeah. I'd figure we'd go to his delightful brownstone. Oh, yes, his, his Manhattan, Manhattan brownstone. Yes. Or where we can nice... s- see his collection of anti-Semitic puzzles or, <laughs> <laughs> or you know, whatever, his posters of his own shows, his his lifetime supply the... of legal pads. They're just like 1800s, like, sex puzzles. No, they're literally like R. <laughs> He's talked about it. He's like... The man is a Jew. It's okay. We're uh, all Jews here. He does have one anti-Semitic puzzle. I forget. It's The word Jew is in the title. Oh, boy. It's like where he, like, he's like, this is my most uh, inspirational thing. <laughs> it's like where he gets his delight of puzzles. It's like this a puzzle called, like, kill the Jew. <laughs> yeah. Some shit like that. Classic uh, puzzle. We're all Jews here. So. Yeah. Um, so we hope you've enjoyed this podcast. It's going to be great. I know that the world just needs uh, another podcast of two white people talking about yes. an incredibly niche subject. That white people love. Yeah. Which is the musical theater. Yeah. Anyway, we'll see you next time on Sondheim Song Time, sponsored by Coca-Cola Corp. Mm, delicious Coca-Cola. And here's to, to play us out. There, Here is song. Um, so, I actually I'm into, I need a fourth snake. So I just don't understand what are these snakes being used for. Tri- my tricks. My tricks. Right, so how does that relate to the podcast? Yeah, sure, so, okay.